Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of the Retrospectors podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James Turlings. How are you going this fine afternoon, James? Yeah, not too bad. Just spent all morning preparing for the episode. How about you? <laughs> all morning? Jeez, you must have a lot written down. Um, I, I, I've been... My morning was a lot more boring. I, I mainly was assembling shelves, but... um. There was something I did want to talk to you about, and that's uh, Sekiro. I've been playing through Sekiro again for the second time. You're familiar with the game, right? Yeah, I've played maybe, I don't know, like a third of the way into the game, I think. So something I've realized playing through the game is I think that it would be better if it was literally just the boss battles because that's the only part of the game that I really look forward to. Do you think I'm insane or do you think I'm onto something here? Uh, I think the gameplay is fine in all aspects. I, I, I think it loses a lot if you take out 90% of the game. I don't know what you're implying here. I think that the advantage of a game like uh, Dark Souls, having all of those random enemies around, is that there's a lot of cool items for you to find, new weapons, new upgrades, all that sort of stuff. So you're encouraged to kill the random idiots uh, so you can fully explore the area. In Sekiro, the exploration, I guess, is a lot less interesting. There's far less interesting stuff to find. It's mainly upgrade materials. Yeah, there's fucking nothing around the levels. It's really, really Yeah, there's annoying. nothing, right? So I think that you're not incentivized to even fight those enemies. And I just started running past them so I could fight the mini-bosses and the bosses. Yeah, actually, I started doing that myself as well when I was playing. But, you know, I think the game is fun enough that I just fight the enemies because they're fun. Yeah, it's it's all right. It's just um, there's a game called Fury that uh, you and I have both played, and that just mm. is just boss battles. And I think that it's better for it. And I just wonder if um, if Sekiro could have done something differently. You know, the game is the game, but uh, yeah, I I think that if you're not going to give people an incentive to explore the world, then filling it with random idiots doesn't do too much. Yeah, fair enough. Um, we'll have to finish this discussion on the Sekiro episode of the Retrospective Podcast. <laughs> Maybe in about, you know, 15 to 20 years from now, hopefully we're still going. Exactly. We'll, we'll make sure to go into detail. But uh, as James has alluded to, this is the Retrospectors Podcast, where we examine old games through a modern lens, not, uh, not games that are a year old or however old Sekiro is. Uh, so just a little idea of what we do here on the Retrospective podcast james and i both independently play through an old game usually uh 1990s or early 2000s kind of playstation 1 to playstation 2 era and other pc games that existed during that time uh we play through it independently we don't talk to one another about it at all and uh most importantly of all when we uh when we review it and when we discuss it on the episode we do it from a modern lens. We're not trying to understand these games in the context of the times in which they were produced. We simply want to answer the question, is it fun to play today? Uh, has this game truly stood the test of time or has it become outdated and irrelevant and unfun uh, with all the modern advances in uh, video game technology and mechanics? So this fortnight, uh, we did James's game, and James's game was Police Noughts. So James, do you want to tell us a little bit about why you chose Police Noughts and what it is? Yeah, so Police Noughts is a homage to 80s cop, buddy cop movies. It is a game by, you know, famous director Hideo Kojima, 
and I chose the game because with his new game Death Stranding on the horizon, I was really interested to go back and kind of explore some of his older titles. And I was going to choose Metal Gear Solid 1 because, you know, it's a great game and I love playing it, but I thought, you know, it's a bit too obvious and I think everybody already knows how good that game is, so I thought we'd go back even further and uh, see where this movie-obsessed director's uh, kind of starting point was in video games. Yeah, and Police Noughts is definitely on the obscure end. It never received a localization, um, so it was Japan exclusive. And it was only in 2009, I believe, when a fan translation patch came out. Uh, The game was released in 1994 for reference, so it's definitely not as well known as uh, Kojima's other works. Yeah, um, so we're playing with a fan translation this week, and we're playing on a Sega Saturn emulator. So what I'll do is, because we had a a few hiccups when setting it up, I'll leave some instructions on how to get it running on the website on the episodes page. So if you want to, you know, go and have a crack at Police Noughts after we've given you our thoughts, then feel free to check out the website so you don't have to spend, you know, 90 minutes to two hours uh, struggling to get it running like we did. Yeah, so definitely a pain in the butt to uh, to get started. I was very confused by that at first. It's got like six buttons instead of the four that are on normal controllers today. It didn't really affect things, but I thought it was weird when I was binding the controller. To be honest, I hadn't ever played a Sega Saturn game myself before now, but, um, you know, I guess what we do here on the show is more go back and play games that we haven't played, right? So to kind of introduce the game a bit, Police Noughts is inspired very heavily by some 80s action cop films, most notably Lethal Weapon 1. Um, If you look at the character designs in... Police Noughts and the main characters from Lethal Weapon, they're almost exact cut and paste. It's pretty funny. Um, Kojima's... It is exactly the same. Yeah, it is. Kojima's a well-known, uh, you know, Western movie fan, and his the Western movie scene influence from the 80s is very strongly felt here. So Police Noughts has a, kind of a 90s anime art style, um, and it's primarily a visual novel with a lot of point-and-click segments and very little gameplay, but there is some there. When developing the game, Kojima actually wanted to originally market the game as being a kind of cinematic virtual reality, but that term had kind of taken off its own elsewhere, so they kind of canned that. But essentially, you know, Police Noughts is a buddy cop movie, you know, made into a visual novel, and that's basically all you need to know going in. Did you want to tell us a bit about the plot? Well, I think that uh, we were talking about this a bit before the show. Uh, We should have levels of spoilers. So before I go into the, I guess, premise and setup of the show, I'll just say this is a generic spoiler warning. Um, We're going to be going into a lot of detail about the plot as the cast goes on. If you want absolutely no spoilers and you want to play it with, you know, completely blind, then you should stop listening to us, play the game, then come back later. If you're happy to have us introduce the premise, we'll talk about that for a while, and then we'll have another spoiler warning before we get into the meat of the plot. So this is your official spoiler warning. Get out now if you want to play the game with no spoilers at all. So the plot of the game, or at least the basic setup and premise, 
is that um, you play as Jonathan Ingram. He's a police not a space cop for a uh, for an orbital called Beyond. I call it an orbital because uh, one of my favorite science fiction authors, Ian M. Banks, he describes these. They're like human settlements in space, essentially uh, artificial worlds which humans live on. But they're basically massive, massive space stations. And he's a cop in space at the only settlement that humanity has developed. Unfortunately, he gets into an accident and he essentially goes into deep storage, like frozen cryogenic storage for 25 years. And when he emerges 25 years later, he sees that the world has moved on without him while he's the same age, whereas all of his uh, ex-friends and colleagues are, you know, 25, 30 years older. The story begins proper uh, with Jonathan Ingram, now a uh, private eye, you know, private detective, whatever you want to call it, in an office on Earth, going through his voicemails. He's kind of in a bit of a shithole part of town, as private detectives normally are, when he gets a surprise visit from his ex-wife, Lorraine, who, you know, moved on with another man when he went into this cryogenic storage for 25 years. She comes to him saying, my husband has gone missing. Can you find him for me? And her husband went missing on beyond the orbital space station in habitation place that, uh, you know, evolved and become a lot more complex and sophisticated since he was a police not there 30 years ago. Um, he agrees to help her or he says he'll think about it at the very least. And as she leaves his office and goes to get into the car, a bomb explodes, killing his ex-wife and the car she's in. This means that Jonathan is now resolved to follow this case because of how much Lorraine meant to him. And so you go to Beyond and you go on a uh, buddy cop adventure trying to track down this missing, missing human being, and a lot of hijinks follow. Yeah, you certainly do. Shortly after arriving on Beyond the Human Space Station, you're quickly thrust into an adventure with your old pal Ed from the titular police knots, um, and you quickly start investigating the case of your ex-wife's missing husband. These escapades lead you, lead you all through the space station of Beyond, and you find out a lot about the world as you're exploring, you know, in this kind of point-and-click gameplay. And in classic Kojima fashion, everything about the world is fleshed out to an insane degree. If you look too closely at a lot of these things, they kind of fall apart a little bit. But for the most part, I was very engaged with learning about all the different ways that human society has adapted to life in space, be it through, you know, medical advancements or feats of engineering. No facet of the game world is too small for Kojima's eye. Even something as benign as just a regular couch in a living room has a huge amount of detail in its descriptions when you mouse over it. So I guess my first question is how did you feel about the world building of Beyond? So um, the way I'd answer this is that I think that Kojima has done a superb job from a hard sci-fi point of view, but he's done a pretty poor job from a soft sci-fi point of view. He's injected incredible detail into the sciences and technologies of the future, which is not an easy thing to do, particularly when this game was released in um, 1994, to create what seems to be a very realistic uh, future sci-fi sort of situation for the world and the people who live on it. Where I would say the world building has failed is in more uh, societal issues, political issues, uh, how the government is structured, what the law system is like, what the political relationship between Earth and uh, beyond is, 
all this sort of stuff is incredibly light on detail. Uh, we don't get very much info on how these societies function and operate, but we get enormous amount of information about uh, the technological underpinnings of the society. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think that um, the kind of political side of Beyond is very vague. Other than that, there's this one huge Japanese corporation that basically owns everything. And, you know, that's all we've been given, really. And it's very, very non-spoilery right at the start to be like, oh, that corporation's going to be evil. You know, there's not a lot of nuance to the political situation, which I kind of see as a big downside. But yeah, I agree with you. Like, all the technology is hugely fleshed out, and I think it's really cool. Yeah, it's definitely not not an easy thing to do. One of my favorite sci-fi books is called Wasp. Uh, it's It's from the 1950s. And it's essentially a guide to being a terrorist on other when invading other enemy planets, with the premise being that a wasp flying around in a car can cause the car to crash as the person driving it panics. So a lone person invading a, uh, a planet can uh, wreak havoc on that planet as long as they do just the right thing. The problem with this sci-fi book from the 1950s is that there's no internet and there's no uh, there's no mobile phones, despite the fact that um, you know, he's uh, flying from spaceship to spaceship, from planet to planet. I think uh, Police Nauts does a really good job of feeling incredibly realistic and grounded, despite how advanced the technology is and despite how old it is as a uh, work of sci-fi. One of the things that I really enjoyed was a lot of the focus on the problems of the world are kind of problems that take place over a very long period of time you know there isn't this immediate sense of this bad thing is happening in society and we have to stop it it's more of a over the case of 50 years people can develop these bubbles in the arteries or something due to the low gravity and this is a problem that we as a society need to solve and i found that most of those issues are presented in that kind of more long-term believable way that I really appreciate over a lot of um, media that has this like really immediate kind of threat. See, I don't actually fully agree with that, um, particularly in relation to the narc, which is the drug or drug problem in the society, because we never really, we, we're told that narc is being used by a lot of people. We're told that uh, narc is i guess necessary for a lot of people otherwise they become depressed and lonely in the vastness of space but we never really meet any of these people who are supposedly using narc it's this weird emission uh and, and this is what i mean by i think that the social side of the equation is a little soft if you are a futuristic society that is exploring space travel and humanity in a brave new frontier of space Perhaps drug use isn't all that bad. And perhaps if we'd spent more time, you know, with the people who were supposedly on NARC, the people who were using NARC as a way to escape from their horrible loneliness or whatever other horrible things are afflicting them, there would have been a far more nuanced perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I would have really liked to see the perspective of the drug users because, you know, as we've said, NARC, the primary narcotic that's going around... Um, and that the game even says that about a third of the people that live on this space station use are, you know, heavily using this incredibly dangerous drug. 
to fight off the effects that space has on your mental health in the long term. And they even go into a great amount of detail a bit later on about how through technology and medicine, humans have been slowly managing to fight the effects on the human body, but they really haven't been able to nail down the issues that are plaguing the human psyche when they're exposed to the vastness of space for such a long time. I think um, a really good reference point for this being done well is the TV series and book series The Expanse, which is kind of like the reverse of uh, Police Knots in a lot of ways in that it concentrates almost exclusively on the social ramifications of uh, these things and barely at all on the hard science because you have people who are working on asteroid mining stations and their bodies become all deformed and unusual and they need to take drugs in order to, you know, deal with that situation. And you get to know them and you live with them and you develop empathy and understanding for that position. The story in Police Norse with regards to the drugs is basically narc is bad. And that's the end of the discussion. So, yeah, I, I think that when it comes to the hard sci-fi stuff, Kojima does a good job. But the the softer stuff, the social exploration is very, very surface level. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely love the technological exploration and what ifs that the game poses, but it really could have done a better job in the social aspect. Um, one of the consequences of having such in-depth technological exploration is that in this visual novel cross point-and-click adventure, many of the objects throughout the game world have that incredible amount of detail on them. And, you know, in general, I think that stories are better when they give that show-not-tell kind of approach, which I don't think is possible here with this level of detail. So, you know, you find yourself in a lot of gameplay situations where you're clicking on items and reading, like, paragraphs and paragraphs of text. And I didn't quite mind that, but one thing I will say is that I really wish that in-game a lot of this world-building that you find around the place was optional, because in general, each scenario where you find yourself clicking on items to progress, you have to click on like 30 mandatory items in order to, for the game to progress, many of which isn't essential to the plot. There's this, like as I said, this sofa, and you can click on it and read two paragraphs about how this chaos sofa molds itself to the user's body based on all these like technological sensors. That has nothing to do with the plot of the game, but if you don't click on that sofa, you can't progress the game. And I found that to be kind of annoying at some points. Um, I don't know if you felt that way or if being immersed in the cool techno babble kind of got you through it. If, um, if you remember, James, there was that uh, Mega Man episode we did where part of the game, and it only does it once, forces you to examine every single zoo exhibit in order to move the plot on. And I was really, really mad about that. Police Noughts forces you to do this exact thing multiplied, oh, I don't know, about 10 to 15 times throughout the story. And it makes me furious. Like, it really, really annoys me for multiple reasons. Uh, like you, I hate heavy-handed exposition. If all of this stuff was optional, like, uh, for example, there's a bit where you're in the um, TV room with your partner while someone's cooking dinner in the kitchen and you have to examine every single object in the room twice, including watching two news reports and having a bunch of conversations with Ed as well. If at any point during this you could say, go to kitchen and eat meal, 
I would be so happy and engaged and interested and able to explore that room and get what information I wanted at my leisure. And then I'd be like, all right, I've had enough time to move the plot on. If it was structured like that, I would be so happy with it. But it's not structured like that. You have to click everything in order to move the game on. So it starts becoming an obstacle to enjoying the game because you need to sit through all of this boring shit before you can get to the part of the game that you actually want to play. I hate it. I hate it. Are you implying that it would be less boring if it was structured that way? Or are you saying that it would be boring no matter what? I'm confused. So, so it's both, right? Because the idea is that sometimes you'll be in the mood to read some things and sometimes you won't. The key thing is it should be your choice. If I want to watch the news report or I want to look at the, um, I want to look at the picture frames on the wall, I can. But I really don't want to be examining couches. Like that, that isn't something I have any interest in doing. But the game makes me do it. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I can see that. I would have liked the game to have been a bit more specific in some parts. You know, these kind of relaxed exploration segments in people's houses where there's no tension, I think could have benefited from, you know, having a very obvious way forward. And I'm perfectly fine with having that, like, pixel hunt approach in, like, tense puzzle segments, but in the majority of the just walking around the town segments, I would have liked a bit more info on how to progress the plot. The game does offer you some hints if you try to move forward without having explored everything, but I don't think it was quite enough, and I did find myself at times getting pretty frustrated. I will say, though, that in the visual novel format, I don't so much mind this kind of like heavy-handed exposition as much as I would maybe in a book or in a movie. And for the most part, I actually really enjoyed clicking on everything and reading all the text. I just, you know, like you, wished the format had been a bit better. I think there is literally zero advantage to having this as gameplay. I, I wish I could just sit back and watch it. That would be my preference. You have to click on everything anyway, so it's not like you have any actual choices. So why not just have it playing and you sit back and watch? I don't understand why it has to be a gameplay segment. Yeah, I don't know. I, th I can see the advantages. I think it's more immersive and you can get to do it at your own pace, but I, I much prefer the system you suggested. Yeah, and it's I, I found it less immersive because let me tell you what, when I'd clicked 15 of the 17 objects in the room and I was searching for objects number 16 and 17, I was like, this is bloody stupid. Like, it's just stupid. Oh, and if you forget to click an object twice, because often you need to examine all these objects twice, you don't know which one you haven't clicked twice, so you have to click every single object all over again. I, I don't know. I, I hate I hate this gameplay. I, uh, I wish it didn't exist. It can be pretty frustrating, but at least I guess the gameplay isn't just limited to these point-and-click sections, right? There are some other gameplay elements that I found a lot more enjoyment out of, um, although I assume that one of these you hated in particular. This game is a cop adventure, and as such, there are a lot of action scenes throughout the experience, and the main way that these take shape is 
you know, first-person shooter segments where you have a little gun on the screen and you have to shoot at guys shooting you. It's almost presented in, like, an arcade way, like those arcade machines where you have the light gun and you kind of shoot... Because you can even buy a light gun and attach it to this game and play it that way if you wish. The main input method is your keyboard and just a shoot button, but we managed to get it working with the mouse. But uh, I, have a, I have a feeling you didn't like these either. Uh, the problem with the shooting isn't, like, intrinsically that you're shooting things. It's that the um, it feels very sluggish and clunky, even with the mouse. And it's basically impossible on a keyboard or a controller. Like, it just feels so much worse. So these were bad. It wasn't a deal breaker for me. And having access to the mouse meant it was fine. But yeah, I, I didn't enjoy them. Once again, I think that the game would be better if this just played out as a movie or didn't exist. It didn't add anything to the experience for me. One of the things that I think heightens this game for me is when it dips into this level of cheesiness that's just like next level. There are a lot of these shooting segments because your main character, Jonathan Ingram, is just this guy wearing like a vest and shirt. Like he's not wearing bodyproof armor or anything and you can't move left and right like in most shooting games. You're just like locked in place and many times throughout the game you're like shooting at a lot of enemies. There's this one segment right near the end of the game where it's like you standing in place shooting at like 40 dudes and I just like the absurdity of that was just like so funny to me. Yeah I, I wasn't so on board with it i i liked the cheesiness of the dialogue i didn't really like how you were an invulnerable action hero there's a point where you're even gunning down mechs with your lonely pistol and it's a little uh it's a little silly i i don't know i uh like i said these action scenes are just like over the top ones where you you know pump a million bullets into the enemies and they pump a million bullets into you and you survive I don't know, it doesn't really do anything for me. Yeah, I played um, only with my keyboard because I hated the way the mouse felt. And let me tell you, my fingers Ouch. got so sore from mashing buttons and shooting because you have to shoot a lot during this segment. You know, you're smashing the shoot button on the keyboard for like a minute and a half straight at some points. Um, I found them fine. I kind of liked them as a way to break up the story and to give you a bit of something different. If I think about this kind of in a like closer to objective fashion i guess i would just say that they're straight up bad but i didn't hate them when mm -hmm. i was playing them um so you know they're fine yeah they're not a deal breaker like it's not like i i don't i the the fury i have at the bloody forced click everything is so much greater than it is at these these which are just you know at the end of the day just a minor annoyance um not a deal breaker i don't think they're very good but you know you can just ignore them and keep going yeah, and one of the things I really did like about them is how seamlessly the gameplay and, you know, the point-and-click gameplay and the shooting gameplay and the animated cutscenes just blend together with the art style. I think this game is really good at keeping the game, the game very consistent and cohesive throughout the experience. When I think of old games from the 90s, I imagine, you know, cutscenes having different character models to the in-game player character model and all sorts of weird shit that takes you out of the experience. But that, like, 90s anime art style is very consistent throughout the entire game, and I thought that because of that, you know, the way the game looks definitely holds up today. 
I completely agree. Um, the aesthetics are one of the strong points of this game, I think. Um, I, I think it looks wonderful. I particularly wanted to say I love the look of the night scenes because uh, it's these deep blues and blacks and purples and that manage to bring the scene to life. It's very moody like and very atmospheric from moment to moment as you're exploring all these locations. Um, like you said, I think it does a really good job flowing from animation to kind of still screens. Uh, one of the things which I think helps a lot with that is is a minor thing. There's often just a little bit of animation on these still screens, like there'll be smoke billowing out from a vent or there'll be things flickering on a computer screen near someone. And it does just enough to bring the scene to life and make it feel alive that you're not just staring at a drawing. And yeah, it doesn't, it, it's amazing how much is done with so little. But yeah, this is this is a really good looking game. Yeah, I absolutely agree. One of the things I wanted to talk about was that thing you just mentioned, like you'll be out in the sun and there'll be these flickering light shafts in the top corner of the screen or characters will be just fidgeting just enough that, um, you know, it's not super distracting, but you don't feel like, this is a you know a pop-up book that's just static you know everything moves and feels lifelike and in particular i think the background art in this game looks really nice as well um some of the character models look a bit jank but i think that consistently the background art looks really good yeah i agree there are when um when there's a character on the screen they can often take up like two-thirds of it and it's kind of distracting uh, it's okay, but yeah, it looks best when you're looking at um, environments, I think. And, you know, I would say lighting. It's not really lighting. It's just like how they've drawn it. But yeah, the, these places look very beautiful. Uh, like I said, very moody and atmospheric. Um, did, did you want to talk about the music a bit? Because I think the music's an important part of creating that atmosphere as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think the music's really good in this game as well. They've gone for this like 80s vibe and it's full of light synth, guitar and funky bass. One thing that really annoys me is actually that in the soundtrack, each song is only like 50 seconds long. And I like them so much that I've been listening to them throughout the week and having them only be 50 seconds long is really frustrating. <laughs> I, I haven't been um, listening to them as much as you, but I will say that because this isn't an animated video game, because it's mainly still screens with very minor animation, I think the music needs to play a far larger role in bringing these scenes to life. And I think the music accomplishes that extremely well. The music always fits the atmosphere and tone and enhances it. So although I can't go into great detail about, you know, the the details of the music, I will say the music in this game resonated with me more because I because it was such a more important part of setting the scene and mood. Yeah, absolutely. I think that a lot of the um, soundtrack is very cheesy even. Um, it's very obvious to me that the composers of the soundtrack had heaps of fun when putting this together you know everything is very heavily inspired by like western 80s music and i just love it it took me back in time and it absolutely fits this aesthetic that the game is going for um 
we're hitting about half an hour now, so I want to give you an example of this music. So one of the things that really annoys me during editing is that when I put the music segments in, it's really hard to figure out where to kind of like cut the music because tracks will often be like 10 to 12 minutes long. This time, however, I'm just going to give you a full track because it's only like 40, 50 seconds. So here's my favorite track from the game, Police Headquarters. So of course, music isn't the only part of sound design in a video game. Being a primarily Japanese game, well, a game that was only released in Japan even, you can only play this game uh, with Japanese voice acting, and you know, I actually really liked the voice acting in this game. The characters in this game, especially Ed and the police chief, put a lot of effort and emphasis on all their dialogue, and I really appreciated that. Voice acting is brilliant. Um, my only criticism of it is that there's not enough of it. There's um, lots of lines in this game which aren't uh, voiced. They're just, they're just text. And what is voiced and what is text is uh, not always crystal clear. It's not always... Sometimes you'll be examining something random and uh, the voice will cut in. And every time the characters were speaking, I was happy. But I wish it was fully voiced. I think I would have enjoyed it more that way. Yeah, the thing, I think it was um, when you're randomly clicking on items trying to find out what to do next, the ones that were voiced were usually the more important parts of the dialogue that you needed to progress. It was almost like a subtle, like, yeah, that's the right thing, good job to the player. I don't know uh, if you noticed that. Yeah. Yes, I did a little bit, yeah. But um, there were there were also moments where you'd have the characters speaking to one another. They'd say a line or two and then the voice acting would drop out as they have a extended back and forth. Yeah, that was pretty annoying because the voice acting, like the music, is really good. Uh, I think both the voice acting and the soundtrack do a really good job of adapting to the mood and the scene that's, you know, going on. A lot of the time when you're just like going around the town on your buddy cop adventure, it can be really lighthearted and fun. And then, you know, you get to these nighttime serious scenes and it really drops down a notch and starts being filled with eerie suspense and that kind of thing. Um, I thought that, you know, a lot of games have this problem where they have a very small sample of soundtracks to choose from and they use them repeatedly throughout the entire time. This game has at least 38 different tracks and I thought it did a pretty good job of, you know, not being too repetitive. I agree with one notable exception uh, when you're speaking to the female characters. Oh? Yeah, whenever you're talking to the um, generic female characters in this game, the secretaries and the uh, museum guides and all these people, 
it always cuts to this chirpy sort of soundtrack that feels pretty out of place for the game. Yeah, I mean, every scene involving female characters feels pretty out of place with the rest of the game, right? Yes, this game has some troubling and juvenile sexism on display. Yeah, this game has a lot of point-and-click gameplay, and, you know, some of this point-and-click gameplay makes you feel like you're playing Sexual Assault Simulator 2018, right? Yeah, Jonathan sexually uh, is being provocative towards pretty much every single woman in this game, and there's multiple times where you click on women's boobs and they jiggle. The, the thing that's most disappointing about it is that it's so juvenile and bloody childish, and I know that Hideo Kojima, um, you know, is that kind of guy, as we saw with Quiet and Metal Gear Solid Five. But the thing is, this man wrote one of my favorite female characters in any video game ever, um, the boss from Metal Gear Solid 3. Yet somehow he keeps slipping into this bloody atrocious treatment of women, and I just cannot understand it. Yeah, I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't admit that I found some humor in it sometimes, but it wasn't the humor that Kojima was, like, intending, right? It was like, I laugh because, man, I can't believe this is in a video game. Like, holy shit, who put this in here, right? Um, yeah, and there will be some people who, for this is like a deal breaker, and I don't blame them because it's pretty shocking. It's also lazy. Like, it's poor writing to include characters like this that are basically eye candy. But... That doesn't mean that the story is impossible to enjoy or there's nothing to get from this game. I mean, there's plenty of old films that have problematic in a whole bunch of ways, for example. But uh, yeah, it's something you should be aware of going in and it's probably the most disappointing part of this game for me. Yeah, I mean, there's an audience for this, right? Let's not lie. So some people are probably going to find this as a positive, um, mm. which is kind of funny to me. Uh, but, you know... The level of detail they go into with this isn't just like you can click on a character's boobs and they jiggle a bit. There's like entire dialogue trees centered around this for like all the characters. It's like pretty intense. There's even, um, so Meryl from Metal Gear Solid is in the game. Yeah, that was weird when I saw her. I, I didn't know what was happening. Yeah, I don't know if you, I found this to be kind of on the less offensive side but there's this thing where you can look at her boobs and she'll be like, what are you doing? You can't touch those. But if you beat me in a shooting match, I'll let you touch them as much as you want. And I was like, okay, it's bad. But at least this character kind of has a sense of um, agency here about it. Whereas like all the other female characters, you just like grab them and they're like, don't do that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just there for your titillation at the end of the day. And yeah, the real the real problem is that it's... I mean, there's lots of problems here, but one of the things that bothers me is it's just poor writing. Like, you, you, you put characters in there and their entire purpose is for you to look at them and grab them and squeeze them. That's not a good character. I don't know. I, I, I don't think you shouldn't play the game because of it. There's still lots of good shit going on here. But it is something you should be aware of, and it's yeah, it's 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 shit. It's it's poorly done, in poor taste. It's going to be a deal breaker for some people, so I just wanted to make people aware of yeah. that um, before we, you know, went on to the spoiler section. Um, and I actually I do want to get into the spoiler section because this is a primarily story focused game, and the main thing I want to talk about is the story. So just as a quick summary, I do like the story a lot. I like some of the characters quite a lot. I like the world building, the settings, 
visually and you know in an audio sense the game's really really good um so just before we go on to that kind of more spoilery section i'm going to quickly just say yeah i would recommend this game so you know go ahead play it enjoy the spoilers come back listen to the rest or if you don't care about that you know keep listening i would not recommend this game um the gameplay in every way except one particular scene which we'll go into later is a complete waste of time what i would recommend is watching the game on youtube and i'll i'll link to that in the show notes you can watch an 11 hour long play of someone just playing the game and i think that is the best way to experience police thoughts not playing it yeah cool um so yeah go check it out and uh from now here on out heavy spoiler warning so you've been warned with that out of the way patrick where did you want to start with the story Okay, so before I get into my feelings on all the aspects of the story and the characters, etc., it's probably a good idea that we do a plot summary so you guys can stick with us as we uh, as we dissect it. So the idea is that you partner up with Ed to investigate the disappearance of your ex-wife Lorraine's uh, husband. He disappeared under strange circumstances and he was employed by this massive corporation called Tokugawa Enterprises, and they basically run the space station. They're your typical big megalomaniacal uh, corporation that has their fingers in every single pie. So long story short, you do your investigations and you eventually discover um, that Tokugawa Industries is involved in this uh, revolutionary new way of dispensing drugs. The idea is that you have a drug in two separate parts by themselves they're innocuous but if you take both of them at the same time it's a powerful drug and the drug in question is narc the uh, illegal drug that's existing all over the uh, all over the colony so by doing it this way tokugawa industries can dispense this drug i guess you know in a secretive way um i'll get into more of the plot as we as we talk about it but i need to talk to you about this james because i don't understand I don't understand how this makes any sense at all. I don't know if you feel this way at all about it, but this whole thing with the drugs makes zero sense to me. So uh, here's what's going to happen. Tokugawa has a new way to get narc out, and they're going to make money selling narc to people, right? What happens when a cop discovers that you ingest narc by combining two pills together? Well, they're going to say, all right, who made this drug? Tokugawa made this drug. Huh, maybe we should shut down Tokugawa because they're currently dispensing an illegal drug. It doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah, and the way that you figure out the drugs are, you know, because these uh, narcotics are kind of hidden in regular, like paracetamol and other types of kind of benign medication. And the way that you figure out two capsules go together to make a narcotic is that printed on the capsule are these little codes that match each other. As soon as somebody figures that out, the entire secret's out, right? Like It's, it's going not... to take one day. It, they don't even need to figure it out. That's the thing, because you need to tell the people you're selling the drug to how to, you know, eat the drug. So it's, it's public knowledge at that point. And then you're like, well, Tokugawa is illegally dispensing this illegal drug. I guess we'll go shut them down. Not only that, but, like, the probability of somebody just randomly, like, taking two pills together that form a drug 
and then you know having an episode or something and then going to the police is really really high like that shit's not gonna fly for like a day right yeah it, it's not gonna fly for a day it, and so it doesn't make any sense uh it would be far more intelligent for tokugawa to to uh leverage social pressure on the government or whatever government that happens to be it doesn't explain and just make narc legal this is the problem with the story in a lot of ways. It, it goes back to the world building I said earlier. You have the hard sci-fi, and it goes into tremendous detail explaining exactly how this dual system drug works, which is really cool. But it doesn't make any sense for Tokugawa to illegally be selling this drug secretly or not, when they can just make narc legal and sell it that way. Correct, especially when Tokugawa has such a major influence on the colony. Like this is like this industry is basically the shadow government at this point, right? That's how big they are. Um, they have this giant foreboding tower in the middle of the colony that you can see from any point of it, and they're just the classic big bad doing bad things. Especially like going back to what you said earlier about the social values like it would have been much more interesting if they were exploring legalizing this drug as a necessary evil in order to help with induced depression and psychosis of space right yeah i i completely agree um it it's frustrating because i've spent a lot of time thinking about how it might make sense um so for example at one point they it's stated that that they're selling this to the mafia. And I was thinking, well, maybe what they're doing is they're selling the idea of a drug being split into two to the mafia rather than their specific drug themselves. Because I was worried that maybe something got lost in translation. But even then, the problem is there's still narc in the drug and it, you're able to set up your you know machines to detect it if you are looking for the right thing. So even then, it's still an incredibly short-term solution. It's no more effective than just disguising a drug as another drug. So yeah, it's this is a major, a major plot point, and it just doesn't make any sense as far as I can tell. So already we got a major strike in the plot hole department. There's probably a lot of plot holes in this game, but to me, I guess... At its core, this is like a cheesy buddy cop adventure, so I try to like kind of ignore that for the most part. But it's very obvious to me that Kojima wanted to do two very different things, and I think they clash at points, which is one, make like a lethal weapon inspired buddy cop movie game, and two, make this hard sci-fi inspired game. You know, both of these things lie vastly on different ends of the spectrum in terms of story seriousness and levels of detail, and I think that this is a great example in ways at which they clash, right? Yes. This drug plot point has to be in the game to kind of mesh with the genre conventions of the buddy cop movie. Yes. But at the same time, it's really not good for the hard sci-fi component of Police Knots. Yeah, so so the thing is, if you wanted to make a buddy cop drama, they needed to shrink the plot down a lot. So a couple of examples of sci-fi films that managed to, I guess, keep a tighter focus are Blade Runner and Terminator. In Blade Runner, you follow Deckard Kane as he tries to kill 
uh, a number of androids. I think it's five total. In Terminator, uh, or Terminator 2, the Arnie Schwarzenegger tries to protect the little boy from the evil robot. And there is a sci-fi world around them, but really these these stories are much smaller. The problem is that the story that has been concocted uh, is too large for you to ignore the sci-fi world around it and the setting that he's chosen to set it in. If you're going to write a story about this massive evil corporation running things from behind the scenes, then you need to explain how all that shit works uh, if, it, if it's in another world. If it was just a story about them busting some local drug dealer, it would have been different. You wouldn't have needed to explain or justify this stuff. A lot of the times throughout the game, I think that each of these elements manages to shine at different parts of the story but I, a lot of the time when they come together is where it falls apart at the seams a bit but for the most part i think there's a lot of segments in the game that are you know great buddy cop drama action and there are other parts of the game that are great hard sci-fi but they don't come together in a brilliant way too often yes yeah, so there are a lot of individual moments and individual scenes that are really enjoyable but when you start thinking about it yeah it starts to fall apart yeah, I would definitely recommend playing this game with like your brain half turned on almost. Um, if you think it's about so it, hard though. Yeah, I agree. You can't turn it off entirely because a lot of the concepts and the ideas that the game is trying to explore requires some level of you know in-depth thinking. But if you look at it too closely under the microscope, well, you know it kind of just like falls apart, right? Yeah. Should we continue with the plot synopsis a little bit? Yeah, go ahead. So, so you discover this inane scheme that I don't understand. I hope there's some translation error there, but I suspect it's just poor writing. Um, and you're, you're ready to bust Tokugawa Enterprises. You've got it all set up, but all of a sudden all your evidence dries up and you, you've lost all your leads and you can't pursue the case any further. So you have to kind of continue to do some undercover investigating to get everything set up for the big bust. Luckily, you manage to do that. You end up tracking down the drug production facility and you get it all ready for a big raid with, um, with the help of, your, of the police chief, who's also an ex-police nord. Yeah, and this setup is all like classic buddy cop movie stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Heaps of it is off the books kind of things. You're ignoring instructions from your superiors and kind of just doing what you want. without a warrant. Yeah, all sorts of just dodgy police stuff in order to get to the bottom of this case where, you know, your ex-wife's husband has gone missing. And there's the the classic thing where everything hits, the, the shit hits the fan, right? And your police chief figures out about it and he's fucking furious and he's like if you guys screw up one more time you're off the case <laughs> it's like <laughs> that's amazing. almost the exact words used yeah it's amazing um it's very tropey in a way and i kind of like that you know this isn't like an entirely original plot um kojima's definitely taking heavy 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 inspiration and the, the game wears it on its sleeves uh, absolutely yeah, I think that I would have less of a problem with the buddy cop stuff if there wasn't so much sci-fi stuff chucked in there. And if he wasn't weaving the sci-fi stuff so closely in with all the other stuff. I feel like this story would have been better if it wasn't in space. Maybe, but I love the space stuff so much you can't really get rid of that. Yeah, it's just he didn't fully commit to it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. Once again, like you said, it's this weird clash of ideas that doesn't always mesh together 
Mm. Yeah, so, you know, Chief yells at you, says, if you stuff up one more time, you're off the case. But this time, you don't stuff up. You find it, and you um, you organize a raid. And the police chief is there with all the mech suits and everything. But as you go to, into this facility where you spotted all these drugs and, you know, poppy flowers moments before, instead, there's nothing. It's been cleaned out. And you're the one who were accused of murdering Hojo. It's the classic... You've been framed for everything, and the police chief is evil. Did you see this coming, by the way? Because I actually didn't. <laughs> I actually didn't either. I thought the police yeah. chief seemed like a nice guy. Um, Me too. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I should have. Much of this plot can be, you know, foreseen. And this was probably the one thing I didn't see. Actually, maybe one or two things I didn't see coming ahead of time. A lot of the stuff you can, but this was an exception. And I guess with the context that half of the police are in the Tokugawa Corporation's pocket, the disbelief aspect of the drug, if the police are in on it too, then maybe I can see it working. But if the police are in on it, why bother hiding it in the first place, right? Yeah, just make the drug legal. Like, it's it's the most simple thing in the world to me. Like... The problem is the drug needs to be bad. It needs to be drugs are bad for the purpose of the buddy cop, you know, movie dynamic. You know, drug dealers are bad. The cops hunt down the drug dealers. It's a classic dynamic. But when it's in a sci-fi context, saying drugs are bad doesn't make sense because one of the things about humanity evolving in a social sense is that drug use becomes more acceptable and... The idea of drugs are bad is a very conservative idea that kind of stands in the face of uh, these ideals. So there's this weird clash that doesn't make any sense. And the more you think about the drug plotline being in space, the less sense it makes. Yeah, which is why I'm very glad it kind of moved away on from that. And as one character said very early in the game, you know, there's a lot more going on here than meets the eye. And so the plot takes a much darker turn than just everybody taken drugs it does so um you manage to escape custody because you get broken out by ed and uh, a couple of other friends that you've made along the way and you continue to investigate this time what you find out is that there is some serious organ trafficking going on yeah. so the problem with living in space is that there are weird things happening to your bones. There's solar radiation. The human body can't consistently stand up to the pressures of space as opposed to living on home because we evolved on Earth. Our bodies are designed for that environment. In space, they get constantly screwed up. So what the uh, Tokugawa industries have been doing is they've been paying the mafia to kill people and give them bodies to use as... They, they cut them up, they take their organs, their blood, or whatever else they can from them, and they use them as transplants for people in space so they can survive. And I actually think that this plot point is actually pretty well foreshadowed throughout the game without being super easy mm -hmm. to spot, right? Right from the get-go on Earth, because much of the Mafia's activity takes place back on home, and then the parts are delivered to beyond. You've noticed very early on, and it's all through the newspaper clippings that you read at the first scene, that people are being kidnapped left and right, and, you know, you kind of just brush that off at the start of the game as just being... Generic well-building, yeah. This is a dark place and dark times and it's just like oh this is classic dark world building that's all it is and then it comes back in a very big way and one of the main characters kind of character quirks is that he's a heavy he's become a heavy smoker 
And they make this very clear on several occasions that smoking is specifically outlawed on Beyond because it's immoral because if you smoke and you damage your lungs, you can no longer willfully donate your bodies to people who need it. Um, and I think this really well sets up the kind of like idea that Beyond is having this shortage of donated organs to help deal with these issues that are arisen from the harshness of living in space. I um, I agree that this plot point is far better developed and makes so much more sense than the drug issue. There was one thing I was a little confused about that maybe you can explain to me. Were they motivated? Was it just profit that was motivating them to do it? Because it, it on some level, it seemed like it was just a money-making operation where they were just selling it to the richest people but then at some point, the bad guys are monologuing about the importance of it for the future of space exploration or something. And I wasn't sure what really, whether it was an ideological drive or if it was just for money. Yeah, I think it's very heavily ideological, especially in terms of the police chief's characterization. He goes on this big monologue about how at every turn space has defied humans' attempts to explore it from the radiation to the mental issues. And that's not going to stop humanity in this tracks. Like, we're determined as a species to explore the galaxy and the universe. And if we need to sacrifice the lives of some people, then so be it. We'll do it. We won't let you know, the crushing vastness of space overcomers. Yeah, there's that. But then when you're meeting the other uh, police nought in the organ facility on the moon, he says he's doing it for sweet, tasty profit. Yeah, I think there's because, you know, what ends up happening is that the five members of the police noughts, two of them are the main characters and the other three are just evil, right? Yeah. Um, I think they each have their own kind of motivations separately that all kind of link together. Mm -hmm. For the police chief and specifically, he has this kind of flawed nobility behind his reasoning. Obviously, he's just an asshole, right? But he's doing it for very different reasons than uh, Salvatore, the guy that you mentioned, is doing it for, who's just in it for the money. Yeah, he just doesn't seem to have a super concrete plan. Um, I'm reminded of Blade Runner 2049. I, I don't think you've seen that, right? No. Well, the main big bad guy who's played by Jared Leto, but I can't remember his name, he's in charge of the of the androids, right? Um, yeah. And the one thing that annoys him is that the androids can't give birth. Uh, because to him, for the future of humanity to survive, he doesn't just need a thousand androids. He needs them in their millions. Because his plan is to use androids as slave labor as a way to launch humanity into the stars. But it takes far too much money and effort to construct each android. He wants them to be able to get pregnant so he can create android farms and then utilize them as slave labor in a broad sense to build whatever needs to be built to get humanity out into the skies. And I'm like, now that's a plan. That is a <laughs> significant plan. Their plan is to get organs and, you know, sell drugs legally. It's like, I don't know, it, it doesn't quite get there for me in the, uh, in the bigger picture. Yeah, there is that subplot of having the kind of artificial humans, but that's not explored yeah, in a great set of detail. That, and I think it's, it's frustrating, right? Yeah, it's one of the weakest parts of the games because one of the main antagonist characters is one of these artificial humans. Frozen that they, as they're called. Frozen as they're called, which are kind of like 
born from the DNA of successful astronauts, maybe like 20, 30 years after their death. And that's an idea that I find interesting. But they don't go into a great de detail about it. But the way I see it is that it's another way. Because these, um, these humans, these artificial humans, have their own kind of different kind of blood that's more resistant to blood loss because it carries oxygen in greater volumes throughout the body. So if you lose a lot of it, you know, it's not fatal, unlike with regular blood, but it's extremely expensive. So it's re regulated to like the police force have these kinds of people. They're like born and bred fighters and, you know, uh, heavy laborers for society's benefit. And I saw this as another means for humanity fighting against the natural laws that are hampering us at our every turn. But yeah, they never explore it. Once again, there's like this social aspect that Hideo Kojima hasn't done a deep dive in in favor of letting you examine clocks of the future to see how they work. And I mean, that's that's fine. Like not everything needs to be a soft sci-fi masterpiece. I'm just saying like, at least for me, that's the sort of sci-fi I value, and a lot of what exists here doesn't doesn't quite make sense. Yeah, especially the one character that you meet that is an artificial human. He hampers you at every twist and turn, and the big plot twist is that he's the guy that killed your wife, right? Yeah. Um, and it's very it's very obvious that it was him the entire. It's too obvious. I I thought I was ready for the twist. It's a way too obvious, and b. In my sense, this character just doesn't have a motivation at all. He no. just, like, he just does it. And, like, I had no idea why. Like, he kills himself at the end of the game in order to spite you after you've beaten him in a gunfight. So he's like, nobody will take my life but me. But other than that, he doesn't have much of characterization other than he's an asshole. And that was, this is probably the biggest problem I have with the entire game, is that this character wasn't fleshed out enough. Yeah, because he could have been, or we could have even met a different Frozener, um, but he's really the only one we meet. It's kind of yeah. annoying because when you first meet him on the uh, shuttle ride to beyond, he's like far more interesting and calm and actually having a discussion with you. And then the moment you get into beyond, he transforms into a completely different character. Yeah, and he's like, that's just something we Frozeners can do. We can pretend to have a different personality. It's like, okay. What? It's like any everyone can do that. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, so you just threw out 20 minutes of characterization that we had with this character. Like, why would you do that? I don't know. That character really annoys me. I wish he was more fleshed out. Yeah. But at least he does bring one good thing to the game, which is, to me, the best gameplay in the entire game which is a bomb scare that you find yourself in. Um, I really liked this scene. You're chasing down this character, Tony Redeye, the Frozener, and he leads you into this handbag store, and you ask the woman who's there shaking in her boots, where has he gone? Because you've been chasing him for like half an hour of action scenes, right? And she's like, oh, he's gone out the back, but he's put a bomb in one of these handbags. You have to figure out which handbag that um, the bomb's in. And through that leads two very different kinds of gameplay that we haven't seen up until this point. Uh, one is kind of a like spot the difference game. And the other is a bomb defusal minigame. I wanted to ask you how you enjoyed that, because unlike the other two bits of gameplay, I actually thought this was quite a lot of fun. I didn't like the spot the difference minigame, but I loved the bomb defusal sequence. Uh, there's nothing about that bomb defusal sequence that isn't perfect. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think this is the best part of the game, hands down. And one of the things I kind of wanted to talk about before and then like cut myself off was, as I've said before, I think this game's soundtrack is great. And this bomb defusal sequence has some really perfect music going on in the background, which is nothing. There is no music during this entire segment, and it just put me on the edge of my seat the entire time. There's um, one little musical cue as like you trigger the second to last diffusal thing and the alarm starts going faster. <laughs> but for the most part, yeah, absolutely no music. And it's really well done and helps make it feel tense. Yeah, there's this like ticking timer. It's the only sound you can hear other than the characters talking. It's just like, oh my god. And one thing there's that so I... many things perfect about the scene. Like the dialogue and the writing here is the best in the entire game as well. Because the thing is, Jonathan and Ed still have back and forth banter, but they manage to make it have this tense and terse undertones which is not an easy thing to do with subtitles and Japanese voice acting, but they somehow translate it perfectly and you can feel the tension as you're, um, as you're diffusing this bomb. Yeah, and one of the things I really liked that uh, kind of, to me, pushes this in favour of being a video game rather than a movie is that the countdown to the bomb still counts down when you're in dialogue segments that makes it feel like, oh my god, talk faster. You know, <laughs> you're feeling really tense the entire time. It's really funny. Yeah, the um, the actual gameplay of defusing the bomb is super well done as well. Like, uh, it's all very small things, like some minor dexterity challenges, trailing the wires. But it does feel like you're defusing a bomb. Yeah, and the very last part of the bomb defusal involves being like a 50-50. It's like the classic, there's the blue wire and there's the red wire. And if you recall, right at the start of the game, you talk to Tony Redwood, this character I dislike, who's actually, you know, in the bomb defusal unit, which is why he knows how to construct such a scary bomb. And he's talking to you and he's like, how much do you know about bombs? And you're like, "Uh, not that much. And he's like, sometimes they put traps in the bomb, like these 50-50 situations. And you just have to kind of guess and hope for the best. If it was me, I'd cut the blue wire. But because like he's an antagonist, that foreshadowing like five, six hours ago... Um, was actually like a bait to get you to cut the blue wire and like i don't know if I you think it was the other way around wasn't it oh no, no he no, says no, no you're right yeah yeah he says to cut the blue wire and i was like wait a second he's evil i'll cut the red wire and it worked it was like oh that's so pretty that's cool. what i did but i was wondering if maybe it just works whichever wire you cut no i don't think so man what a bloody what a what a thing to do make you sit through all that and then it's like 50 50 chance because <laughs> you are guessing still i don't know No, but but that that dialogue bit kind of it's a puzzle in itself right yeah, it tells you I, which I one that. to go i get that but it, it would be easy to derive the opposite though yeah it's so tense i really like that scene i actually um aside from the bomb there was that section where you're in the handbag store and it actually turns out that the handbag store is like um a place where they sell knockoff handbags and if you open the wrong handbag the bomb will go off and destroy like everything in a huge radius so you've got to like use this real handbag get rid of the fake ones until you 
only have the last one there that's the like the only real one in the bunch it's like you play spot the difference 30 times and you know it's Ugh. if there were six i would have been more on board but i was so sick of this man like oh my god it's just a brown handbag as well there's nothing interesting you're just looking for straps different straps and things like that i don't know i could have done without this I didn't hate it. I found it was kind of fun. I agree there was too many. Maybe like 15 would have been fine, not like 30. Or just not have it at all. That would have been... Nah, it was fun. It was silly. I liked Listen, it. Listen, if I want to play Spot the Difference, I'll go find <laughs> a children's K-Zone magazine. That's true. And I guess there was one more kind of gameplay type, which was like later in the game, you're in this news van. And you've got access to all these cameras around this building, which you can switch around, and you've got to kind of, like, piece the story together by changing what cameras you're looking at that. I th thought that was kind of fun. It's not, like, yeah. super engaging gameplay, but it was a fun little break up the rhythm kind of thing. Yeah, no, I, I thought that was fun. I didn't really see it as, like, that different from, I guess, going between different rooms. It, it was different. You're looking at four screens at once, but it was still ultimately a linear, you know, sequence of events that are happening and you're pressing the cameras in a particular order. So it felt like more of the same to me. It gave a good amount of tension, though, because you've got this killer dude on the loose around the place and you're trying to guide your friends through the building. Is there a fail so, state with it? I'm not too sure. It didn't happen to me, but I like kind of felt concerned for some of the characters for the most part of this. Oh, okay, I, I didn't feel any tension. I was just clicking through the cameras, waiting for shit to happen. Yeah, sure. Okay, we've been talking for ages, so another quick music break. This time, my choice, we're doing Capturing. How did you feel, I guess, bringing up the characters, how did you feel about some of the side characters? I thought I quite liked Ed, your partner, and I quite liked Victor, the Doctor. Yeah, I think um, on the whole, the cast of characters are well done. Um, the the villains, I think, are a little too stereotypical. There are yeah. too many villain monologues. But your allies are pretty much fine really the main thing is that Jonathan and Ed are well written they're the main ones and, and they're very well done I mean they're very obviously uh the tropey dynamic of the two cops buddy cops but that's fine like it's it's a tried and tried and tested way of uh pairing characters up with the young hothead and the older the older mature, mature cop. cop and yeah they do get into a bit of like I guess that kind of middle-aged idea because like all of the characters are like pretty old there's no I guess there's like one young dude but that's like it right yeah I mean I guess I I think that I wasn't really uh, I didn't really see that theme of getting middle-aged in a very clear way it's such a stereotype that you know the old cop is you know 
three days from retirement, but he's going on one last adventure with the hot-headed dude. Was Middle Age explored in other ways? I don't know. He Like, the whole kind of... Um that cast of characters in the police station in the vice section ed uh meryl and dave they're all kind of like you know down on their luck pushed into this department that no one cares about and you know main character jonathan comes in and spices up their life again uh and it's like a breath of fresh air i don't know i um i kind of liked it yeah no it's not that i didn't like it it's just i didn't really get that it was a being a meditation on being middle-aged one of the reasons the characters you interact with tend to be in their 50s is that they're powerful characters in the world. Like, if you're the director of a police department, you're probably going to be 50. If you're the head of this massive corporation, you're probably going to be 50. If you're in charge of a hospital, you're probably going to be 50. Like, it's just the characters' ages were appropriate for the roles that they are held in society. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, actually... We did go over the worst... We did miss the worst sequence of gameplay in the entire game. This was the... Like, you said you were frustrated and annoyed the entire time you were doing the point-and-click segments. There was probably only one time in the game where I was absolutely infuriated, and that was uh, clicking on the mosquito right near the start of the game. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, having access to the mouse was a big help in that regard, but yeah, that was pretty pretty tricky. Yeah, there's this mos- little mosquito, like, this little pixel of movement just flying around the screen, and you got to, like, click on it, like, three times. And with a keyboard, I would have fucked this up like 30 what times i was on this for like 20 minutes before i finally got past it so frustrating that's painful. and like they're trying to play it off with some shitty humor too like the mosquitoes landing on this character's boobs and you've got to like slap it every time you miss the mosquito and hit her breasts like accidentally the character plays it off like man i hope this never ends it's like ah just let me hit this damn bug and stop giving me your shitty humor yeah i mean I you've know. probably picked up on it by now but there's only one gameplay sequence in this entire game which i enjoyed which is the bomb diffusal one and the rest which is better as a movie so i i think that you should not play this game i don't think it's a good game i think it's a good good story and thing to watch but i, I don't think it's a good game um i'm higher on the gameplay than you are i like being able to explore the world at my own pace um even though it's definitely not perfect and could like i would change it a lot if i could but i do enjoy you know the kind of point and click exploration the dialogue trees which um oh we haven't mentioned that did you notice that the dialogue really took into account what you had been clicking on yes the order of things that you did mattered and it mattered a fair bit like um characters reference things that you've done and you know things that you haven't done if you abstain from you know groping a lot of women the female characters talk to you with much more respect or they mention that you know you're such a massive pervert and even like ed throughout the story comments on this depending on like how often you've done those interactions and all sorts of things like that and i really appreciated that level of detail in the decision trees yeah i've been poo-pooing this story a lot and with good reason but um one part of the storytelling that i really enjoy is the investigative nature of it when you're a police officer and you're asking people questions it only makes sense that as you get more information new dialogue options would become available to you And I like the idea that you ask a question, they say something, and that gives you the option to ask more questions. I really like this part of the game. And any time that you were 
trying to find out information i didn't have a problem with the way the dialogue trees were structured because it was almost like you were following the critical path to get to the information you needed uh it was only when you were forced to go through every single option that i really got frustrated and i think that if they shifted the way the story was told into a critical path and then a bunch of optional lore and world building on the side I would have enjoyed this structure a lot more. Yeah, one thing I will say about the dialogue trees is that I wish, um, because, you know, you can click on the same option multiple times, sometimes up to like seven, eight, nine, ten times and get something different. I wish that maybe the dialogue options had been a different color if there was still something there to see. Uh, but I guess it's kind of like enjoyable if you find something that nobody else is going to find. And I, I also believe that if you uh, asked a question about something, you could ask more questions about other stuff and then go back later and sometimes get more information. Yeah, I did like that because it made sense, right? Yes. Like you ask about the police headquarters and then you ask about all these characters, which makes you think, oh, I wonder about this other thing about the police headquarters. So you go back to that dialogue option. And yeah, there is more stuff there. I, di I did think that was really well done. In general, I enjoyed the more slow burn aspects of the story where you're just going from place to place asking people questions. And um, it was only when it was unveiled how those drugs were made that I started going, what the hell is even going on? I don't understand this game story at all anymore. But the bit where you're just going from person to person asking questions was fantastic. A lot of the um, plot can be seen coming to some extent, but I think it was actually pretty engrossing kind of investigation where you're trying to figure out what's going on and piece all these bits together because like right at the start, you find all these threads that you eventually manage to converge into one overarching plot point. Mm -hmm. And I find that really satisfying and intriguing um, it makes me want to explore the world and to, like, figure different bits out, which really tied into that excessive exploration about how society works and beyond. There's just a couple more plot points that I want to go over before we wrap up. One thing that struck me as being kind of annoying was the way the game ended ended. Like, the plot wraps up and then Jonathan decides to go back to Earth and then everyone's like, you should stay here. And he's like, no, I don't belong there. And that really felt really weird to me. Like, you don't know any characters from home. So as a player, you're not attached to anything back on Earth, right? Like, all your friends and all these characters you've met and, you know, everything is on beyond, right? For the character to be like, not nope, leaving, there's just no nothing that I can see that he's attached to that he's going back to. Yeah, thematically, that's the sort of thing that needs to have been introduced earlier. He needs to have felt like an outsider and an outcast. And there needs to be have been something about him being from Earth that makes him, I guess, unable to live on beyond. Like maybe uh, the longer he spends there, the more he starts dying off or maybe he's obsessed with smoking and he can't smoke, like literally anything. But there's no setup for that sentiment. So I agree with you, it makes no sense. Yeah, it was really annoying to be the final like kind of story beat as well. Yeah. With the story kind of in mind again, as we said earlier, this game was never released in the West, maybe for some now obvious reasons. And to that end, we had to play this game with a fan translation, essentially. 
I completely forgot that we were playing with a fan translation for the majority of the gameplay experience, um, because the quality of the translation here was very consistent and, in my opinion, quite high. I don't know if you ever kind of noticed anything that was a bit off-key or just seemed a bit weird. Uh, yeah, I mean, broadly speaking, I agree with you. I think the translation was well done. I still do wonder if there's something I fundamentally don't understand about the drug issue, but I can't... I spent a lot of time thinking about it and I can't conceive of a way that it makes sense where it could just be a mistranslation. It just seems fundamentally problematic. So yeah, I, I thought the translation was fine and it did a good job. Again, in relation to playing on this emulator, uh, I don't know if you had any issues, but it was incredibly buggy for me and crashed a lot. Uh, every time I exited full screen and went into full screen again, it became more increasingly squished until it was a straight line. And this is another reason why I broadly recommend watching it instead of playing it, because playing it on an emulator was a pain in the ass. Yeah, it was a bit. Um, it wasn't too bad after I got it working, but I did notice that it crashed a lot if you had it alt-tabbed for too long, um, yep. which was really annoying. So I ended up save-stating my game a lot more than I wanted to have been doing, but I just, you know, didn't want to lose huge amounts of progress like uh, like you did. Yeah, so I was playing for about an hour, getting some solid time into Police Knot, so I was playing full screen because uh, that's the only way that your mouse can be synced up properly. And uh, then I'm like, all right, uh, I've had enough for now. I'll, uh, I'll save my game and exit. So habitually, I pressed escape to access the menu so I could save my game. And of course, it immediately closed the emulator and I lost all that progress and I was very mad. Yeah, much to my enjoyment. I love it when Patrick <laughs> Arthur gets upset. Um, so yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess that's most of what... I, that's pretty much all that I had in my notes. Was there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we wrap up? No. I think that's pretty much it. This has been a pretty chaotic exploration of all the aspects of the story, but I think we've touched on most of our main thoughts. Um, basically, I like the overarching structure a lot. I think Kojima did a very good job of adapting the kind of like buddy cop structure into a game form. Um, I just wish that the, as we've said, the narcotics and the hard sci-fi kind of mesh together a bit better. The like the organ thing it was definitely definitely fit better thematically and into the world building i thought and was you know uh, a lot better so with that said how did you feel about it as a whole so basically i can't recommend police noughts as a game i just can't because i don't think the gameplay or the that the act of playing it adds much to the game except for that one bomb defusal sequence i think literally every other aspect of the game is improved by just watching another person play so i can't recommend it as a game i think but that being said i think you should watch a long play of it on youtube because and in a way that is kind of a recommendation because for all of my bitching about the broader problems with the story the problems with the plot holes etc etc like James said, if you can switch your brain off and just enjoy the characters and the interactions, the dialogue and the wit, uh, it's enjoyable. Uh, it's moody. It's atmospheric. I love the investigative nature of it. It's cheesy in parts, but there's still a lot to enjoy here. And um, yeah, I think it is worth your time watching someone play the game. 
I don't think it's worth your time to play the game. Yeah, as somebody who quite likes like point and click style and visual novel kind of games, I really enjoyed this. I, um, as I told Patrick earlier in the week, they may have forgot. I actually beat this game, which is about twelve to thirteen hours long, in like two sittings the first of which was only an hour long so i sat my ass down and played this for like 10 hours straight um i enjoyed it that much right so there absolutely were times where i had to open up a walkthrough or i was getting really frustrated about what to click on but that's basically my biggest gripe with the game in terms of visual designs i think this game you know apart from you need to play this game uh, at a smaller screen size than you would like. But in terms of like art style and graphical cohesion and the way it sounds, this game looks and sounds fantastic still. I don't think it's the kind of game that outside of those resolution issues is ever really going to look bad. And I really like that. In fact, I think that the graphical presentation of this game is like absolutely unique in terms of like trying to blend gameplay and um, story together and I love that and then you know the story's fun the main two characters banter back and forth a lot in a really fun kind of way the way they assess the world and explore this really fleshed out society is incredible to behold and I just had a huge amount of fun playing through this game uh, with the pinnacle of it being that bomb defusal section that we spoke about earlier. So yeah, I would absolutely give Police Noughts a recommend to people with the caveat that if you're not super into weird pervy Japanese humor, you should probably give this one a pass. But if that doesn't bother you, like honestly, it doesn't really bother me. You're going to have a great time. Yeah, I think it's basically a poor science fiction story, but it's a fine buddy cop story. Um, if you want a good sci-fi story that touches on a lot of these themes, I think in a far more interesting and well done way, definitely check out The Expanse. It's a TV series, it's a book series, it's very good. And it goes into a lot more interesting depth into a lot of these issues that we've been talking about. Yeah, agreed there. This game, definitely a great example of a buddy cop game. And you know, some of the sci-fi is pretty good, but not all of it. Um, and with that said, that's basically our opinions, right? We both like the story. Um, we think you should both check it out, even if it's only, you know, a watch through. <laughs> so with that said, Patrick, would you like to do some uh, some shilling for us? Absolutely. My favorite part of the cast where I plug all this crap. So you can check us out at, at RET Podcast on Twitter. Uh, we've got everything on our website, rspodcast.net, including articles every single fortnight on um, on the games that we've been playing, in which I tell you great things such as why Kirby sucks, oh my amongst, God. amongst other things. So please do go to our website, check out the articles, check out all of our episodes. Finally, if you want to send us an email, you can go to retrospectivespodcast.net at gmail.com and we've also got a discord server so feel free to drop by if you want a more informal chat yeah and thanks to everyone who's dropped in so far and said hi we've enjoyed having a little chat with you and we'd really love to chat with more of you so you know come to our discord the link's on our website and i'll link it in the web page for this episode so come have a chat come tell us why our opinions suck um, and we'll be happy to um, tell you you're wrong. Uh, so oh, I'll be more than happy. There's nothing more I love than having a proper full-blooded argument about get your games. So please, lovers of police, Norts and Kirby, please come to the Discord. Also haters. Um, 
we'd be happy to uh, <laughs> happy to have a, a heated chat with you. So with that said, I guess this brings us to the point where we talk about what game we'll be playing next. So next fortnight, Patrick's game. So what do you have in store for us? So continuing the trend of um, games that end in noughts, uh, we're going to do one of my favorite platforming games of all time called Psychonauts. Um, I actually had to look this one up to see if it was of the appropriate age, but it was released in 2005 or 2006, so we're allowed to play it. Have you played Psychonauts before, James? That's a pretty loose cutoff date. 2005 was like the limit, but I'll give it a pass because I like this game as well. Um, and I think it's quite, uh, it'll be quite interesting to talk about on the cast because of um, very unique visual design and theming going on in this title. But we'll uh, we'll get to that next fortnight. So I hope you join us for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about it. Uh, Psychonauts is a game that I've played through a couple of times, actually near the time of its release and i adored this game when it was released i i couldn't believe what i was playing so i'm really excited to see if it stood the test of time and is still fun to play today or whether it's uh, just nostalgia talking yeah me too so um from both of us thanks for listening and we'll see you next fortnight we'll see you then